Please keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourselves and enjoy. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast of personal details to help us notice our own desires and maybe even talk to other people about them. Our guest today is a cis dude in his mid-30s. He is queer, leans hetero-romantic, and is in a long-term monogamish nesting relationship with his life partner. He works in wellness and as a fledgling prodom, and he is into power dynamics, ass play, leather, and toys. Hailing from the Pacific Northwest, welcome Master Wolf. Hello, Wyo. Thanks for having me today. I'm so excited to ask you all these questions. Can you start off by telling us if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shame-o-meter with 10 being the most full of shame and one being not so shamey, where do you fall today? I think I generally fall in a one or a two. Okay. What affects your shame-o-meter? Just caution of other people's comfort zones. I don't even know if that is a shame as much as like respect for other people's boundaries, you know, not wanting to dive someone into dialogues about what's happening in my sex life or their sex life, but maybe that's what makes it creep up a little bit. I can relate to that strongly. Can you tell us what is your sex life like right now and what's your favorite part of it? My sex life right now is both challenging and lovely. I'm living with my long-term partner, which is amazing, you know, just having that constant contact, constant touch. But for the past few years, her health has been really affected by various things. So like sometimes sex is really painful. There's a lot of things that used to be activities that we enjoyed a lot that only rarely can kind of resurface. And the nature of what's happening in her body really fluctuates a lot. So it's not always predictable. So sometimes we're like, hey, I'm going to dress up sexy and you're going to fuck me in the ass and then we'll try. She'll be like, no, 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 never mind. And some of that has been exacerbated by COVID stuff. But it's a really beautiful relationship and it's evolved in a lot of ways. We have gone from like me starting the relationship being like, I'm polyamorous and her being like, what is that? To like closing it up completely, opening it wide up, closing it again. And like, we're in like a really beautiful space right now where things are open. I have some friend lovers that are around in various places. And now that COVID's starting to dissipate, some of that is coming back into play. And I'm having some more outside explorations very minimally right now, but it's great. We have sex quite often, not as often as we were before all the pain stuff, but things ebb and flow. Beautiful. And your favorite part at the moment? I think my favorite part is my ability to continually check in and re-navigate and re-explore with this partner of mine. That's awesome. Can you give us your personal definition of sexy? I've been thinking about this question a lot when I've been hearing you ask it. And the one that keeps coming back up is embodiment. I find someone who lives in their body, who knows what it's doing and can feel its reactions. I find that really sexy. A lot of my sexual partners in the past are people I've like kind of seen on a dance floor and just like the way they're moving. And you can tell that they're living it. They're like aware of their breath. Because I think when someone is aware of how their body moves and how it feels, they're also able to then connect that to you and like feed that back to you and know what pleasures them as well, which I find always makes for a a more enjoyable connection. That's awesome. I feel like I'm definitely still trying to figure that one out. And I just am calling attention to that because a lot of the messages I get from people are like, you're so this and you're so that. And I'm like, I just learned to breathe a few years ago. (laughs) Like I just started feeling feelings. Can you tell us what happens to your shame meter when it is time for you to talk to a partner, a new partner perhaps, about safer sex? And what would the ideal version of that conversation look like for you? Definitely goes up a little bit as far as the safer sex goes. 
I think there's been a lot of times in the past where I've just kind of not had that conversation in the heat of the moment in line with the more recent explorations. I hopped on the dating app field recently. Didn't think my shame meter was that affected when things were kind of heating up with this one person that I went on a date with not too long ago. And I went on a date immediately before a three-week motorcycle trip across the country. Mm. So right after the date, I was like, okay, this is going well. We didn't hook up yet, but we might when I come back. So I'm going to drop the bombs. So my bombs were like, all right, just so you know, I do some sex work and I really align with people that do sex work. So if you're not cool with that, this probably won't work. But also I've had HPV in the past and I get tested regularly, blah, blah, blah. And then I didn't hear from this person for a really long time. And it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with they were in like another romance that kind of like mm. picked them back up and they're like, oh, I'm going to look into HPV some more. And then when I didn't hear from them, I was the shame of meter started to climb. I was like, fuck. Yeah. Had that conversation. It was tough. I've had one doctor in the past be like, ah, everyone's had it. You don't even really need to have that conversation. But I was like, I'm going to just be as upfront as possible. But I appreciate that. I just want to say I appreciate that. And I personally don't like it when doctors are like, don't tell them about your herpes. Don't tell them about your things. I'm like, well, not for me. Thank you. Yeah. I had a friend call me the other day who similar to you has had herpes and just disclosed it to a partner. And it was a brand new partnership. And the person just like had an anxiety thing about it. They're like, oh, I can't do this. And, you know, it's a hard one to have. So I think that's when the shame meter climbs a little bit. I also like have a couple that I'm friends with that I hooked up with three weeks ago. And that was a really easy, clear dialogue. And they're like, hey, we get tested a lot. And he was actually really great in the moment. He just like hands me a condom. He's like, here, put this on and use it. I'm like, great, cool. thanks. Which was just a reiteration of our like past conversations that we had already had about like being safe and taking care of each other kind of thing. So I literally get so happy and excited when I hear people say the phrase taking care of each other, because that is like now the mission I'm obsessed with. Mission 69, taking care of each other. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Take us back to your early years. When do you first remember hearing about sex? What do you remember thinking, feeling? I remember an early experience when I was probably five years old, where I was at a child friend's house and we were playing doctor. She kept making me be the doctor. She's like, okay, now show me this. Now show me this. Now you do this. And a parent walked in and we were never able to hang out again. And all I remember was it's wrong. Mm -hmm. That's what I remember being told. So I don't think I had any concept of that was sex. But I remember there was something wrong about being naked and touching each other from a really young age. And then probably when I was around like 12, I started working at my uncle's shop and he kept these Easy Rider porno magazines in the bathroom at the shop. There's all these pictures of like naked people. But again, I still had no real concept of what it was. It's like, oh, but they're naked and they're touching each other. And this is what sexual images look like and probably said the word sex. And I think I actually said the word sex once in front of my mother and got my mouth washed out with soap. So again, just like, don't do that. That's wrong. Which was funny because our household was like pretty censored about what we could listen to or watch on TV. But then like going over to the uncles and seeing these dirty magazines, that's where things started to like click. I didn't have a very good concept until I was much older. Okay. Did any of them ever give you any sort of talk or did you get one at school? We got a talk at school. I actually just messaged a couple of my friends from my grade seven class. I was like, what was that talk like? And we were trying to like pick each other's brains about it. It wasn't abstinence centric, but there was definitely that like the only way you're safe from all of these hideous pictures of genital warts we're showing you is to not have sex. And then I remember the teacher putting a condom on a banana. Yeah. 
at some point, the teacher kicked several people out of the class. I can't remember why. And then they split up the boys and the girls, which I had forgot about. But one of my friends just messaged like, yeah, she just took all of us girls to the other room. And mm-hmm. so then the boys learned about male anatomy because we don't need to know what female anatomy <laughs> looks like, obviously. <laughs> so that was it at school. And at home, the only sex talk I got from my parents was my father saying something along the lines of, don't get anyone pregnant and just be nice to people. And that was kind of it. Because I think when I was 16, I had a girlfriend for the first time. And I think they figured out what was happening, but didn't want to ask or talk about it. And so that was it. That's so human. So how did your early experiences start? Was it with that girlfriend? Had you started exploring yourself at that point? Probably about a year after the sex talk in grade seven, I had a sleepover with some friends. And I'm the oldest of my siblings, but my friend is the youngest of four brothers. And he came over and stayed the night. And where I live, there's this channel and it's the French channel. And late at night, there's a show called Blue Nui, which is like softcore porno. And I had never seen it. He's like, put it on this show because I thought we were just going to watch like silly cartoons. And then all of a sudden there's boobs on my screen. And I'd seen like the still images in my uncle's magazines. Yeah. But then there's this softcore porn happening. And yeah. Like, oh, my God. And I was from that point on obsessed. Mm-hmm. He was like, my brother showed us this. So I lived in the basement of the house. It was like just a thin little like stacked house. And my, so my parents were kind of staggered by a few floors. But when I'd hear them go to sleep, my sisters and them were upstairs. I would sneak out and I would take blank tapes and I'm dating myself with this. I would put the VHS tapes in and try to like stop and hit record and cut out the commercials so that I would have these tapes of Blue Nui softcore. I didn't know what masturbation was, but I remember the time I realized that I was masturbating was I was like holding my, I would just clutch my dick. And the chair that I was in was a rocking chair just by incidence. And I would sit there and like, kind of be like, what is the show? What is the show rocking back and forth? And one day I exploded all over my hand and I thought I was in trouble. I thought I was maybe sick. I thought like, this isn't supposed to happen and there's no internet. So like, I just remember clutching all these Kleenexes. And then the, I don't know if you've ever tried to like come up with a Kleenex or with toilet paper and it like sticks to your flesh and it's it's horrible. So then I'm like, what is it? And having these panic attacks and probably remember hearing someone start to walk down the stairs because they could hear me sometimes. And then they'd start to walk down the stairs to see if it was like, did the dog need out or something? What is that noise I heard? And so like panicking, turning off the TV and sprinting back to my bedroom. And, And then that evolved for a while. And from age 12 to 16, it was just like chronic masturbation in the basement to these VHS tapes that I would hope no one would pick up. So I would label them like Conan and Masters of the Universe or, you know, (laughs) things like that. So that these shows that no one else is going to want to watch in the house. That's hilarious. So you're just like hiding them in plain sight. Yeah. Okay. So you had a little bit of personal experience before you started engaging with partners, it sounds like. Yeah. And I think that was the case for a lot of my friends growing up. Like there was a few people that we knew were having sex or like told us they had sex in like, you know, grade eight, nine, 10. And I think we all never really believed them because it wasn't happening for us. Like I had these crushes and these concepts and like sex was a thing I should do, but I didn't really know how to go. Like I, when I was 15, I was still throwing things at girls that I had crushes on. And then at one point when I was 16, A friend in school just walked up and like, hey, my friend has a crush on you. She wants you to be her boyfriend. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Yes. And I had no concept of what that is. I'd only chatted with this person once or twice. And I think this person wanted me to be their boyfriend. 
wanted to have sex. And so I was like, that guy, great. And so anyways, I got pulled into this person's life. We only dated for four months when I was 15, uh, 16 rather, but she watched real porn on the internet. <laughs> she had the internet at her house and I didn't, not the soft core stuff. And so she's just like, I want you to go down on me. And I was like, is that that thing where they like put their head between the legs? Like my concept of where the genitalia lined up was still based on those pictures from the motorcycle porno magazine. So I just thought like the vulva lined up with the penis and you just like faced each other. I didn't realize there was like angles and things. Yes. Yeah. And so she's like, no, go down on me right now. And just like would put my head there and be like, no, you're doing it wrong. Turn tongue this way. And she hadn't had any consensual sexual encounters before me, but had just been like watching so much porn. And I don't know what kind of porn she was watching, but stuff that was at least giving her enough of a sense of like what she wanted to try. And so we did everything except for intercourse in that four months and just like chronically all the time. And I'm so thankful for it because she's like, no, no, this is where you put your finger. No, you touch this. Like this is a clitoris and this is the perineum and this is like do these different things and was very, very instructional because she just knew what she wanted and just happened to be me that she picked. It was like this really great kind of coaching experience, I guess. For whatever reason, we didn't have intercourse and we broke up and it's devastated when she had intercourse with the next person because mm. I was in my brain. We were still on like the bases system, yeah. you know, yeah. like first third. Yeah. So I didn't get the home run, but I was thankful for everything else. That's quite a magical, almost like a sexual angel that just like was like, yeah. I choose you. Let's go. Let's educate. Okay. So after that education, what was it like engaging with partners beyond her? And what was your awareness of your own sexuality like at this point? I was doing the thing at that point. Like I was having interactions with women, which much to the chagrin of my friends that I played football and Dungeons and Dragons with, you know, but all of a sudden I was then like obsessed and I don't think I had a lot of concept of like what brought me pleasure other than like pleasuring people brought me pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I was told how to do this thing. So then afterwards, I kind of knew how to do those things. And I had a couple like super brief attempts at dating people. And then almost four months after that, I fell into my first four year long relationship with my like high school sweetheart. And that started like with a bang. And so I was kind of just in that. And from that point on, I was super flirty with everyone I met. What's the difference between flirt and friendly? I think there's more of a push and pull okay. with flirting versus just straight friendliness. And I think I have managed over the years to be good at flirting without being too forward, you know, like, or presumptuous of where that flirting could go. Cause I don't really necessarily need or want it to go anywhere. Yeah. I just like to flirt. I do too. And yeah. I didn't know that there was a difference and I didn't, I was like, hmm, why are these people always trying to kiss me? And also I'm open to it. And so I think there has just been my own personal confusion now that I'm like learning about my levels of turn on. So, okay. Just wanted to get some feedback there. It took me being more of an adult to realize that a lot of my interactions are flirty. Yeah. So now that I'm in like a professional space in the wellness world where like maybe if I'm teaching in a studio or something that there's a public that I, I'm like, oh shit, I'm, I'm flirting with that client and I should not be flirting with that mm. client, but I'm just being friendly. But then all of a sudden I'm getting an email to my personal email being like, I'm really lonely and like my husband's out of town. Would you like to come over for some tea and maybe we can do some like exercise in the living room? I'm like, no, no. Oh, I was flirting with that person. <laughs> Got it. Shit. Okay. Okay. Right. So it's like boundary flirting is friendliness. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. 
I was in my first long-term relationship with a woman who at one point I thought like, well, I guess we're doing the thing. We're getting married. We're going to have the kids and blah, blah, blah. But to use the common term, we fucked like rabbits for the first like three years of dating. We were 16 and 17 and just tried everything we could. And the first day we hung out outside of school, we tried to have sex, which was great because I was in that other relationship where I was like, I didn't get to do the sex thing. And then we got to do the sex thing. And then just did it all the time, like eight times a day for a couple of years. And that was great. Wow. And in that, that's when I think there was a lot more exploration of, oh, I want to try this thing. And I want to try that. Like we just anything we could try. We tried. How were you getting those ideas? Were you researching? Were you just brainstorming? Did you have knowledge? Did she watch porn a lot? The woman who I was in the four year relationship with did not watch porn, okay. was raised Catholic, a lot of Catholic guilt. So for her, it was just like super vague ideas. She was really into Outlander. She read those. So like all of her sex scenes were based around Outlander, which is just, I have a kilt that I wear sometimes. So that the thing, sometimes my beard grows out really big and my hair gets really long. So that was a thing. But yeah, no, she didn't watch porn. I lived outside of a city and occasionally I would go in, there'd be like these punk rock shows or something that I would go into town, but I had to ride a bus. And at the bus stop, there was the local paper who printed Dan Savage's column even though we're not in Seattle. Um, and so I found that when I was 17, 18. And then I just, for whatever reason, I would find a reason to get myself to that bus stop every week to get that column. And I'd be reading it and like, what? This is a thing? This is a thing? Because again, no awesome. internet. Yeah. Maybe by that point, there had just been internet at more friends' houses. And I had a floppy disk with like pornographic pictures on it. <laughs> <laughs> And then once I went to university, which was in that town, I found a new bus stop, which had Dan Savage's article outside of the bus stop. But then also the bus stop was outside of the local sex store shop, which was amazing. And it's this really amazing shop that has tons of literature. So like you walk in, it's all books at the front. And then it's all like the candles and that floofy stuff in the middle. And then mm -hmm. at the back, it's all like the sex toys and all the bondage gear and the staff are super educational there. So I would wait for the bus to go home from university and browse through this shop and then have my Dan Savage under my arm. So I'd get on the bus and read that. And then as soon as I got picked up from the bus stop, I'd get rid of that paper because I couldn't be found with it at home kind of thing. And the sex shop became not very consumerist except for with sex toys mm -hmm. i can't control it so then i'd start to buy them and like bring them home and, and me and my partner would play with those or be like hey dan savage talks about like a butt plug can we try a butt plug or he talks about rope and can we try rope and so we like started trying all these different things i think it was in that relationship that i started to find out the things i was into more they didn't always line up either like a lot of it did line up with the two of us but not everything did so. i'm having a compersialist feelings that's where i say compersion jealousy feelings where i'm like gosh i wish i'd had that sexual experience growing up because i feel like i tried so hard but i just didn't i mean god you went from just to recap a sexual angel girlfriend who showed you the basics and then a fuck like rabbit partner who you got to have sex with all the time and you got to try these things and this bus stop was like here's how to do sex in front of a sex store like that's great okay so yeah can you say a little more about what did and didn't line up and what you were discovering about yourself as you entered your 20s? The sex toys were always a hit. And a lot of the lighter bondage stuff like went really well. We found a vibrator that she's like, this is the vibrator of my dreams. And then, you know, we figure out what angle can I fuck you at that you can still use this? And where can I put my fingers or where can I put this toy while I'm going down on you? Can you give us some details? Like what kind of toy was it? And are there any salient points here that are helpful? <laughs> 
the vibrator that she really loved was it was like this thin rod with a little turned bulb at the top almost looks like a teardrop at the end of a little rod and so like she found out that she really liked clitoral vibration Mm. and we used that while i was like fucking her from behind i saw the sex pillows at the sex shop but i couldn't afford them or carry them home discreetly because my only vehicle at the time was a motorcycle so there's no way i'm like driving around with this thing that was big enough for a backpack so we'd like gather as many pillows we could so we could prop her up so she could lay on her back with her like feet over my shoulders and still hold this vibrator. We started using small butt plugs that she really liked, but she put it on the Catholic guilt and like a bit of a fear where she wanted to try anal. And I was getting more and more like, I really want to play with your butt. But we never quite got there. I remember she moved abroad once and at this same sex toy, by this point, I was living in that city and she had moved away and I found a dildo that pretty much was my cock. And I mailed it to her in a care package with That's some other so things. so thoughtful. Right? And then she messaged me one time because we, we would dirty talk a lot then. And she's like, I just put that in my ass. It's like, you put it in your ass? That means you can put me in your ass. But then when she came back from that trip, it still never really happened. Mm. But I, So I think there was like a fear piece with yeah. it. But also like the guilt of like, I probably shouldn't even touch myself like that. But mm-hmm. Catholic guilt on that side of the country where I'm from. I'm from the east side of the country. And like, mm. it's pretty pervasive. And there's a lot of things you're not supposed to do. As the relationship started to deteriorate, like after that time abroad, we probably just should have broken up. I think the relationship had evolved how it needed to. Yeah. But then we got back together and it kind of crumbled at that point. But some of the stuff like the bondage things became less enjoyable for her. I don't think they like felt as safe because the relationship didn't feel as safe. Yeah. She was also getting what we found out later was chronic UTIs. Oh, fuck. And it just kept coming back all the time from sex. And I, I don't know why. I'm sure she eventually figured it out if she finally managed to find a non-sex negative doctor. But like the first few doctors just like, well, you're having sex. You shouldn't. That's really? why you're getting yeah. So I've had a string of partners with horrible like sex negative doctor experiences. Oh. It just like blows my mind. Wow. Eventually things didn't line up. And then I think that was like the beginning of my interest in kink. And so we had like gentle little floggers and then I was like, I got this big flogger. And she's like, No. I think it was a, a lot of the imagery as well, right? Because then we're getting into like dungeon Satanism, like these dark demonic looking things. Like we always did a lot better with the pink leather cuffs versus like the black ones. And I really like black leather or like brown leather. And so once I started going that, the imagery of that was too close to. Oh my gosh, you're blowing my mind because I literally have never made a connection between like dungeon down below satan the darkness like i'm like oh yeah scary spikes but i uh, you just blew my mind even though i've thought about castles like how many fantasies have i had about building a castle and putting a proper dungeon in it lots you know is that a future brothel in nevada i hope so you know i hope so too <laughs> i'm working on it so you started uncovering your dom self it sounds like through your own sexplorations and through your own learning and what was your relationship with the idea of kink And then at what point did you start to notice an attraction to dudes at any point or penises or or whatever it is for you? It was a long time till I started to notice that attraction. And I think it's evolved and it's still in flux. Probably like my mid-20s when I had a friend. uh, He was a bi friend of mine. We were often sleeping with the same women. And he's like, hey, what about? And so he'd bring women over to my house to like hang out with and occasionally I can think of one time where the two of us hooked up with this woman that he was involved with. And then he'd just look over me like, can I suck it too? And at that point, I wasn't quite ready to be there yet. Mm-hmm. I was 
doing a lot of like hyper masculine sports and my brain was like i guess I'm, it's kind of okay i don't know if i'm into it looking back i wasn't very attracted to him so like the idea of it never squicked me out mm-hmm. and i was like no but we can like keep hooking up with these people that are friends of yours and like we can keep hanging out it never bothered me and then when i was bartending for a while there was this fellow who would always sit at the bar where i was working who would always say oh come on let's go to the back room let me suck your dick like it would be the best blowjob you've ever had and Again, I just wasn't attracted to him, but I wasn't Mm. turned off by the idea. And eventually I moved from East Coast to West Coast. And the first time I actually was attracted to a penis, I, again, dating myself, there was Craigslist personals. And I was bored one time and there was this couple that said, hey, do you want to come hook up? And I sent a couple messages with a woman in the partnership. She's like, yeah, what's going to happen is you're going to come over and how about you and him give me a massage and then you can start to like push me around and maybe we can fuck. And he's by. So if you're into that, cool. And so when I went over and I was like, oh, I really like your penis. I've realized I like penises that look like my penis. And so his looked like mine, but it was bigger. What's your penis look like? Tell us so we can have a visual. My penis, I'm circumcised okay, and it's very symmetrical, which my order brain likes. Does that mean it's straight too? Yeah, it's also straight. I'm definitely a grower, not a shower. So when I'm flaccid, it's very small, Mm -hmm. which for whatever reason, I never cared about. I was always naked at any party that I could get away with being naked at. And I was the one that threw most of the parties growing up. So I could get away with being naked and people like, dude, why are you naked? It's like, it's my party. If you don't like it, you can go home. Is that the key? I need to throw parties. That could literally solve everything. (laughs) Then I could have a social life. I would throw them at like 3 p.m. on a Saturday, though, because I like to go to bed at 9. And somewhat veiny. I don't know how to explain it anymore. My balls sit up really tight, so I I don't have like big pendulous balls. I've once again found a a sex toy that looks like my penis. Do you just know that from looking at your penis so much? Or have you ever been in a sex toy shop where you're sort of like... (laughs) I know it from looking. And I won't hold them up to my own penis, but I'll like... I'll definitely put my hand around and like, okay, my thumb and middle finger can just barely touch. So that's it. And the length is right. I love it. So yeah, then eventually I kind of realized I like penises. I haven't had a huge amount of experience of playing around with them other than like professionally. I mostly actually it's only men that have hired me professionally, but I've mostly been doing my dom work virtually. So I haven't actually like seen the penises. And one of the things professionally that I do is I deny access to the penis. Like I'm not going to touch your penis. You can jerk yourself off, you pathetic little thing. Like a lot of people like me for the degrading bit. So I'm like, you're not worthy of me touching your dick. So I don't actually interact with penises other than like through commands. Okay. So yeah, I think mid twenties I started to realize, okay, I like penis. And since then there's been a lot more people that I've been attracted to and I found the men that I've been attracted with and and I really like threesomes, two guys, one woman, or two penis havers, one woman. And I think also once I've moved to the West Coast, my expression of who I'm attracted to has expanded a lot beyond gender binaries and things like that. It was before that that I realized that I liked having my ass played with. So I think that might have been a gateway as well. I do want to circle back to the Craigslist story. That was a moment where you were like, this is a penis that I don't dislike. Did anything happen with that penis? Oh, yeah. I sucked that person off. She pulled out this giant strap on and she was like, can I fuck you with this? And I've been fucked with a strap on before, but this thing was huge. It was like Coke can size. And I was like, I don't think so. (laughs) You can try. Like, I generally just approach life with like, yeah, if you want to try, let's try. 
and that didn't work. But then she's like, well, I'm going to fuck him. And I remember by the end of it, him and I were 69ing with him on top. And I was like spreading his ass while she fucked him with this giant Coke can size strap on. So yeah, I definitely interacted with that penis. And then there's been others since then that I have come across. But my ability to be attracted to people outside of the male gender is very broad. Within the male gender, it's a very small section. So I sometimes hesitate to call myself queer or bi because there's people that don't have the ability to pass, like the privilege of being heteronormative like I do because I'm in like a yeah. straight relationship. And so I'm hesitant to like demean those people's experience because mine is pretty easy. I can relate a lot to that. I remember one time I went home and I visited all my buddies from my sports team when I was in my mid twenties. And I don't know how it came up. And one of them was like, bullshit, Jay, you definitely sucked a dick. And at that point I hadn't sucked a dick. And I was like, oh, it's funny that he thinks that like he knows that I could do that. I just haven't. I guess I might as well just do that. And that was kind of like a permission slip that like my sports team's buddies didn't actually care. So that was kind of like gates are open. And then all of a sudden I'm making out with everyone who had a similar beard with me on the dance floor. And would you be like, hey, do you want a beard twin and make out with or like, was that just the happenstance? It just kind of was the happenstance. I also had a very similar experience when I found out that my mom asked her best friend to ask her daughter, who was my child hood best friend to find out if I was a lesbian and I was like no I've just been getting rejected by boys and I for some reason have these girlfriends who pick me to be friends with like social skills have been hard for me my whole life and like social norms and all of that so that was when I was like oh but I guess I I never really thought about it before I just assumed I was straight because the you know the princess programming definitely got into my brain well that's it right I want to ask more about your butt (laughs) we started to talk about it a little bit and Initially, I wanted to ask when you were mentioning like getting into the idea of doing ass play with your first long term partner, the four year relationship. Were you exploring your own ass at the time or how did it evolve for you? I wasn't at all at the time. Our roles happened to just kind of be that I was the sexually dominant one and she was the submissive one, which doesn't mean that like as a dominant, you can't have your ass played with. But just like I was the one initiating a lot of things and it just wasn't on my radar because I was focused on her ass because it was perfect and I loved it. But it was later on, I guess this would have been my third long term relationship that wasn't that long either. I had a partner. It was pretty short lived. But at that point, I had had anal with like a couple people and I loved it. Like you were the penetrator? I was the penetrator. Okay. And I wanted to do it with this new girlfriend, but she had had an experience where she had tried it with a previous boyfriend, asked him to stop, and he didn't stop. So she was like, no, I'm not going there again. And I was like, well, if you change your mind, I've done this with people before where we go really slow, like following all Dan Savage's advice, like start with pinky finger, look at all these toys I have. They're various sizes if you change your mind. And her response was, well, you can play with my ass if I can play with yours. Like she said it jokingly, thinking I would just say no. And I was like, well, okay. And so like I had this one glass toy that was like an anal toy that kind of had two ends on it. And I remember at one point having it in her ass. And she's like, well, now let's put it in yours. And then by the end of it, we were like scissoring with this like glass toy in both of our asses and her like jerked me off. And then like just the willingness for me to say yes really opened the gates for her. And then we were just like kinky anal sex all the time, which was really great. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was really great. We never got to the point of me. I was in the process of like shopping for a strap on. It was my first time thinking I would buy one for a partner when we broke up. And I remember she tried to shame me to get back together. Like she didn't want to break up. And then I was like, you just have to part ways. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she said, she's like, I'm going to tell everyone you like your ass to get played with. And I thought about it for a second. 
And then I thought to myself, that would be fantastic <laughs> because then everyone would know and everyone that was into it would find me. Yes. And it kind of happened that way where people would be like, well, I, I don't know if she ever did tell people, okay. but I seemed to start attracting people that wanted kinky sex and wanted anal sex. And I don't know if it was like flagging because I wear a lot of leather. Like I'd always wear like these leather bracers or like the harness like I'm wearing now, which is just where I hold my wallet. But it's kind of like that flagging to the world kind of thing. I was going to ask about that. Literally, I've been dreaming about learning to sew so that I can make myself vests. But I'm like, maybe just hire a tailor. You don't need to like learn another thing. But I get so curious about everything so that I can have pockets because I have this one jacket. And then I see your harness. And now that I hear that, I'm like, well, maybe I need that, except I'm submissive. So then it would be confusing. But you could just wear a collar at the same time. And then you would be flagging that I have this thing where I keep my wallet, but I'm also... I don't know how much flagging is a thing anymore. Like, So when did you start to like officially in your brain identity, not that there's an officialness to this at all. When did you start to feel kinky identity wise? When I realized I was always turned on in the hardware store and in the produce aisle. And then just like reading comic books where like characters are tied up and, and I read a lot of fantasy. So there's these like, I don't know, there's always these like dungeon scenes. And I was like, I like this. And I think I started journaling about it when I was with that first high school girlfriend. My mother definitely found that journal, which may have mentioned illegal substance use and a lot of like BDSM scenes that I had been wanting to have or that I had been having with girlfriend of the time. She found it. She had this habit of once I started having girlfriends, I didn't live at home for very much longer. I ended up moving out when I was like 18, I think. But I'd go home a lot and I'd stay a night there because they lived outside of the city. And if there was like a condom wrapper or a beer bottle cap in my pocket and I did laundry, she'd find them and like put them on top of my pillow or my laundry at the house. Be like kind of a I know what you're doing thing. But when the journal was found, it's like I walked in. It's like, I read this. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, no. I got called like a sex fiend and a pervert and like a disgrace. And how could I bring that into her family? And I, I've realized a lot where that has come from as an adult. At the time, as like a 20-year-old, I think it might have been when that got found. I was like, what the hell is this venom about? Like, why are you so negative? Blah, blah, blah. I'm your son, blah, blah, blah. My parents both grew up really poor. And my mother's mother was a madam. She ran a brothel. And I didn't know that at the time. And I also, now as an adult, I've realized that several, like one of my uncles was like a married in uncle, was a two spirit slash transgendered sex worker as well. And like, I have several cousins that are still actively doing sex work, but I didn't know any of that because there was so much shame for my mother around her upbringing. She was the son of the whore and the son of the bootlegger at the top of the hill that you don't like, none of the kids were allowed to talk to them at school. So for me drinking and having sex, but also having like kinky sex was super triggering for her. And I was always like, why does everyone call my grandmother madam? And mom would just be like, it's because she's French. And it wasn't because she was French. It was, which I only found out later because I had an uncle on my other side of the family that knew her. Yeah, I was at her house one time, my grandmother's house. And this other uncle from my dad's side of the family showed up. And I was like, dad, how do they know each other? And he's like, well, son. And then it all kind of came out. So so I got disowned for a little bit. It was it was pretty brief. My mother also watched too much CSI. And I think there was like a scene that started with like this guy strung up, killed in a dungeon. Oh, so Jesus. then like her brain goes to horror yep. stories of it's like, hey, mom, I'm the one tying people up right now. Yeah. So you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> doing I'm the one with like the garage in the backyard. Like, yeah. So what happened once you got disowned? How long were you disowned? Did that affect your sex life at all? Or no? Okay, <laughs> I wasn't. Li- I wasn't living home at that 
by that point. But then I realized like, oh, okay, these things I'm into, they're kinky. They're outside of the normal scope because it was extra triggering. Mm. That's when I really realized that I was a little far off of the normal sexual spectrum. And that's when the identity started to be created of being kinky. And I remember I had this like one weird little like studio apartment in an industrial building that just really let me like take a hold of that because I rode a big motorcycle. People who came home with me had to come into this weird warehouse walking past like almost like a factory thing. And I just had hooks from the ceilings everywhere. And people were like, what are those? Like, You know what that is. You want to find out what it's for. And that just kind of like embraced it a little bit more. And I was thankful like... Once I discovered I liked having my ass played with, I never got into the hang up that like as a dom, you can't be penetrated. I do like dropping the dom role sometimes and I'm maybe like very minimally switch, but sometimes I even like to receive penetration still in the dom role. Like yeah. you're going to put that strap on, you're going to fuck my ass. And that's how I was first exposed. Like that was my first experience pegging a dude was when my master was like, try this thing. I got you this toy. You're going to use it on your master. You're going to bring him pleasure. And I was like, okay. And it wasn't until I started talking to people on this podcast that I was like, but what do you mean submissive butthole? It wasn't until talking to lots of people that I was like, oh, that's a common frame for some reason. You know, it just didn't seem logical to me because it wasn't, that's not how it was introduced to me. So Oh, should we get individual, like, should we get story snippets throughout your 20s and 30s? Like, at what point did you meet your partner? How did that fit into kink? And then, like, how did you get to sex work? Like, where where should we go next? I feel like you are so full of good stories and details. Like, do we need to hear more about this warehouse meat hook place? <laughs> like, There were some good, pretty good stories that came out of that place, for sure. And I think there was, like, a good streak of people that passed through the doors there. At that point, I was freshly out of university. I had broken up with the high school girlfriend. It's where I went through almost the totality of the partnership with the woman who we explored each other's asses. Like that was where things got really kinky in that relationship. And by the end of it, I was living in this like strange apartment warehouse. That's where I found out that I really like, oh, I've lost the word for it. What's the kind of bondage where there's a push pull and no matter which way you go, like something is going to be compromised. Like I remember I had this chest harness on her through like one of the hooks in the ceiling. The other end of it was tied to her hands behind her back. So like if she stood up on her toes, her arms wouldn't hurt, but then her legs would get tired. But then if she let her heels down, she would start to like get short of breath. So there's all of these push pulls that there's a word for that kind of bondage and, and like doing that with like a toy in her ass so that if she like let her heels down to relax her legs and to take the strain off, then this toy was going to go further into her ass and like to come back. Oh my God. But how did you learn to do that? In that bookstore that was in the town, there was a, a book by Midori, I think is her name, like super great sex educator, really great kink educator. Hers was probably the first book I picked up. And then I just started grabbing like other kink books and I'm still not great with rope. Like my shibari is not neat and tidy, but I'm efficient. Like I can tie fast knots. Oh, that partner was the first person that I got into consensual non-consent with as well. So I guess there's some good stories that came out of that. This poor lady Aside from the partner who didn't stop having anal sex with her, she was also raped on another instance, but she wanted to try to come to terms with it. And she had these rape fantasies. And I was really hesitant because I was like, no, rape is bad. We shouldn't do that. And I found some literature and I kind of talked myself through and we learned a lot of how to like negotiate the scene. I was like, okay, so I want this to be helpful for you. I want it to be hot. I don't want it to be triggering. That was where I really learned how to like dialogue a scene very carefully because that scene I like we were staying in someone else's house it wasn't either of our homes because that was part of it was it had to be like outside of the home and I left the house and snuck back in because it was a home I was familiar with uh -huh. 
but no one was there besides us. And so she was in the kitchen doing something. And I actually like snuck in, zip tied her wrist and held a knife to her throat. But I had like, it was full forced scene kind of thing, but we had all the check-ins in place. So I, I can't remember what they all were, but my father had a tool shop. So I like, I had gotten this knife and I ground the edge off. So it was blunt as hell. So it was pretty much like a prop knife, but it still served the purpose. And like the zip ties were part of it. So it was all very like worker-esque kind of thing. And then from there, it was like, again, the floodgates were open. It was like super validating for her to be able to experience that without like challenging her identity or throwing her back into trauma. And Mm. I think there was only once that we had like a little bit of a hiccup. And definitely over the course of my life, I've had hiccups where things that I thought were negotiated well ended up like invariably you can trigger someone. But I think through that relationship, I learned a lot about figuring out how to come back from it as well. Wow. I have so many questions. First, I want to hear how is it for you to hold space in that way? Like, is it effortful? Is it fun? And what did you do for aftercare with that scene? If you remember the aftercare for that scene, I didn't know the language around aftercare at that point. Mm -hmm. It's funny, actually, because on the field dating app recently, I matched with someone and it was like, tell me about your aftercare. And I was like, well, aftercare is so specific to the sub. Like, it's just like doming someone. It's not there's not a universal way to do aftercare. It's like, yeah, tell me how you have sex. Yeah. Right. And it was funny because that like it seemed like it was being positive. Like, if you tell me how you do aftercare, well, you're a good dom. And I was like, well, hmm. but for this case, so she didn't know what she needed but afterwards there was a lot of holding there was a lot of cuddling like i held her and like let her come down from it aside from crafting the scene i had also made like a giant fruit tray so once we sat down i like i fed her strawberries i ended up fucking her with a piece of like fruit that we had then too so it turned into this like food sex scene afterwards like way afterwards after i had been feeding her strawberries and mango for a long time so and then since then i've learned like oh fruit is often a good thing just like i train people in the wellness industry i do personal training and stuff like that too so now i know like oh you're crashing and shaking a little bit when i'm making you do all these push-ups here have some vitamin c but it translates well to all fields awesome what about for you aftercare or like what do you need to hold the intensity of a scene like that for me the scene is held through the permission that's kind of achieved ahead of time like knowing what is within bounds for someone and where i can push those boundaries a little bit like here's a hard line don't go across it here's a soft line i want to bump up against it and really that's all i need like i really enjoy domination scenes that can get into a lot it doesn't take me much to hold that space. I did clown school for a while. And one of the concepts we do in clown school is like every way we have a being is a mask. And if you learn to play with the mask, the mask can't play with you. And those masks that you haven't discovered are the ones that are fucking you around. And I think I just like found my Dom mask and it's really fun to put on and is really fun to take off because like I consider myself a feminist. I consider myself like really empathic, really caring. And I'm very aware of the poison that can be the hyper-masculine world. So it's fun for me to then take the mask, put it on when there's like a safe container to be like, now I'm in charge and I'm doing the thing and you're going to listen and then afterwards take it off and put ourselves back on equal footing kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. It sounds so integrated. And then would you mind sharing in instances where things have gone a little sideways or have needed sort of like, I don't know, kink control or what, I don't know, like what, what do you do when things start to go off or when something doesn't go as planned? A couple instances that come to mind. I remember there was this one time I met a woman at a kink party in Canada and Montreal. And there's this big kink party that happens every year that I really wanted to go to. And I met this person there and we just had this like ongoing flirtation for years. And then eventually one time I was in her city. I had a relative nearby that I was staying with. 
And so we like arranged to hang out. And over the course of that hangout, it became clear that we were going to hook up or that we wanted to hook up. And so she's like, well, here's my aftercare needs. And I was like, here's my time needs. Like mm. I have to leave in half an hour. And she's like, well, here's my aftercare needs. And I was like, okay, maybe we shouldn't hook up because I don't have time to cuddle you for an hour yeah. afterwards if we do a scene. And there was like that back and forth. And she's like, well, I want you to fuck me and I want you to tie me up. And so then I did the things and then I was like, okay, I got to go. She's like, what do you mean? I told you what my aftercare needs are. And I was like, I told you I got to go pick someone up at the airport. Like I got to leave. And so that one was a failure to listen and to like dickful thinking where I was like, okay, well, obviously she's telling me what she needs. And obviously now she's saying yes to sex. So she's willing to not do the aftercare part. But that wasn't the compromise. Like right. th there was all that implicitness around it where for me now, I like super explicit. I'm like, okay, if we do a scene, are you okay with your wrist tied? Are you okay with a hand on your neck? Are you okay with this and that and that? So that was one where we kind of had a falling out from that and we never mm -hmm. ended up interacting again. Or we ended up interacting a bit, like the apology was had, but we didn't hook up again. I was also not in her city again. Yeah. I felt like I owed reparations, but also realizing that neither of us were saying what we actually, if we had it then, I was like, okay, I can tie you up and fuck you and call you names, but then I got to go. Yeah. And we just like left those in the gray zone. Another time that things went wrong was again with another long-term partner. We broke up and then we had our breakup sex. Mm -hmm. And over the course of this relationship, this was a different one again had a lot of relationships, but this partner really liked kinky sex, but she also liked really sensual, like tantric sex. And in breakup sex mode, I was like hot and heavy, dirty, mean, blah, blah, blah. And I put on my Dom mask and that wasn't the mask she needed. And I put my hand on her neck. She just needed to be nurtured in that moment. Oh. And I had just put on the wrong mask. And I think part of me always in that relationship too, I gravitated towards her interest in kink, mm -hmm. not fully listening that she also had these other interests because they weren't as familiar with me. And in that moment, like the hand on the neck was super triggering, shut down thing. And like, since then we've really come back around and I was like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I thought that like maybe in our breakup, you would want like more detached, like animalistic, like back into that dom sub thing one last time. And I'm yeah. seeing now, like I got that really wrong. So that was kind of the, the way to repair that. And now I think those two encounters really helped me now try to listen better in the moment. So I get there before we've come apart or before there's that major split, you know? So if in a scene, there's like the stop, go slow down. I like the slow down button, like hit the brakes. Or yeah, yeah. I really like your idea of mercy. I've been wanting to integrate that. I love mercy. It's great to use even with people that are less familiar with kink in my personal experience. And I use it for everything. I'll be specific with, it. I'll be like, mercy on my leg, I need to move, it's falling asleep. Or, you know, like I'll say mercy on a specific thing and it's just so sweet and fun and, and people seem to respond well without getting freaked out. So I'm a big fan of that. What sorts of conversations do you have with potential submissive partners, whether in personal life or professional life at this point? Like how in depth do you go with them before you start playing? That's one that I'm trying to navigate a lot more. Again, I've been with my partner for five years. And so there hasn't been a lot of 
dating in that time until like recently, but the dating apps are kind of neat. I don't like them really. I don't like interacting on a phone, but I like that on something like field, you can be really kink forward, mm-hmm. right? You can just start it with, I like eating ass. I like tying people up. I like consensual non-consent. So there's all this out there. And then afterwards, I do try to do a lot to sift through how people might like to navigate a scene. This one person that I've gone on a couple dates with, I don't know if it's going anywhere, but dates are fun. I like things for their potential. I practice a lot dialoguing that in a non-work capacity. Being like, well, what kind of names do you like to be called? I have another person on field who identifies as a trans feminine gay, which for me, what are your pronouns? Like, what do you, what do you like your genitals to be called? Do you like being degraded? And so I've just kind of been finding a way to ask this person, like, what do you like to get called if we were fucking, while still keeping the dirty talk going, which yeah. is kind of something that I've been learning to navigate in the professional world as well, like keeping the dirty talk going well, well negotiating the scene. Fuck I also yeah. say on my website for my Dom work, like, you need to tell me what you like. I do have like a consent checklist or like a kink checklist of mm-hmm. yes, no, maybe. I ask people what they like to be called, what they like to call someone because as a dom, I used to not be comfortable with daddy at all, but I've had a couple of people ask to call me daddy. So I've learned to be comfortable with it. I like master. I like sir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes people have other things they want to call you. I don't want to call someone a little sissy bitch when what they want to be called is like princess, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are you into degradation? Are you into praise? Are you into impact? If you're into impact, do you like stingy? Do you like thuddy? I actually put that on my field profile, like stingy versus thuddy or rope versus cuffs. And then I can kind of craft a scene. I don't have it on my website, but if someone wants to do a kink scene with me or work with me, I have an email that I send them that kind of helps me craft that scene. And it also makes them put some thought into it. So I'm not wasting time. I'm like, this is the only free email you get. Here you go. Yeah. That does a good job of sifting people out. That's kind of how I navigate it now. What do you look for in new partners or submissives who are hiring you? Like what are kind of your boundaries in that realm? Professionally, I don't have a lot other than you'll pay a deposit or like that you respect communication boundaries. Like I just tell people like after this email, this is your last free one. After that, you're paying me a dollar a word and you have to do like 20 pushups into your toilet bowl. What's do your toilet bowl mean? Into your toilet bowl. I had There was this one submissive that had like a degradation kink. They wanted to explore piss play. We were only doing virtual setups and they kept emailing me. And I was like, yeah, I'll answer your email after you put your hands on the rim of your toilet bowl and do 20 pushups, diving your face into the bowl, imagining my foot on the back of your neck. Oh, that's so cool and creative. Okay. Wow. I love the creativity aspect. The virtual thing, like I'm not crazy about virtual, but I don't have an in-call space right now. There's a pending in-call space. So I had to get creative with what to do online only. So beyond like respect my email boundaries and pay me for my time professionally, I don't have any other restrictions like regardless of gender, race, income bracket, income bracket kind of sorts itself out if you're hiring a dom. So I don't have much restrictions in that for what I'm looking for. From someone I'm dating, I like someone who can express their needs and also be authentic. Like I've had someone who's like, I think I like kink, but I don't know. I've never done it. Then that's authentic. And I'm okay with that. Whereas what I really don't like is someone who has decided they're submissive and that if you're the dom, you know, all the answers. Cause for me as a dom, I'm not in charge of the scene. I'm facilitating the scene, yes. but you're the one in charge of it. Yeah. So you can't just say I'm into whatever go. Yeah, You know, and I had that one time where I had like, I think this was one of the first times I was exploring kink within the bounds of my current relationship with someone else outside of it. It was like one of my first hall pass 
mm-hmm, periods, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which didn't work. We tried to don't ask, don't tell. And our whole relationship is predicated on like trust and communication. But she was like, maybe I'll be more comfortable if I don't know. So I hooked up with this person who was just wanted me as the dom to do all the work. And I was like, yeah, but tell me what you like. Give me like a couple seeds for a scene, not just I want to be dominated. That doesn't tell me anything. So for me, that's like a big red flag. If you can't name anything you're into or answer questions about what you might be into, or like even just give me a tone of the thing or know what your aftercare is, like I want to be wary of that in my personal life. Anytime someone says to me, I don't have boundaries, I translate that into my brain as I don't know where my boundaries are and you will stumble on them and I will make you responsible for them. And that happens a lot because I take people at their literal word and then I... (laughs) tumble into their secret minefield zones. I remember this one time I was at a party and someone was like, you won't believe the kinky shit I'm into. I'm into everything. Like, that's so vague. What does everything mean? I was like, oh, like, do you want to get tied up and anal fisted? And they're like, oh, no. Yeah. I was like, well, you're not into everything then. Like, learn how yeah. to express what you want. I'm always like, so you like shit play and blood play? Not one person so far has been like, oh, yeah. But I'm like, some people are, so. I'm not into blood play, but this triggers a story. Again, back to my, I will try anything. I, I met this person who was a friend of a friend. I was hosting a party, told me she was really into vampires. I was like, I got vampire teeth and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I want to be the vampire. And we ended up talking about it a little bit. She wanted to suck blood. So I just, I shave with a straight razor sometimes. So I had a straight razor and watching blood play at parties, I had kind of known how to cut properly without killing yourself <laughs> or bleeding out. So I cut myself and let this person drink my blood. We played it out as like, I am the master vampire and you're the, you're going to become a vampire. So you're going to drink my blood, which is pretty neat. That's so cool. We only ever did it the once, but I cut myself on my arm, like adjacent to yeah. a vein, but not, not the wrist kind. Yeah. Kind of similar to where they would draw blood from if you were to donate blood. So that was kind of neat. And it wasn't really my thing, but it was her thing. And it made her happy. And it was like, here's a novel experience. Yes. I like novel experiences. Me too. That is so cool. What else have you explored that we should know about? Or like, what else do you love? I've discovered over the years I like to be observed. So I think that probably started when I was being naked at parties that I would host. So I was like, well. You're at my party. You must want to be here. I'm naked. So, and since then, I've kind of learned to do that a bit better. Like I went to a kink event that had like a play zone and just going in there with my current partner and her like sucking my dick in front of a whole bunch of people where the setup at that event was interesting where the play scene was up above on a balcony. And then the dance floor where nudity wasn't allowed was down below, but there was, a, it was just a railing. It wasn't walls. So most people were like, there was like these multi-people orgies kind of happening up against the walls out of sight of the dance floor and she wasn't at the point where she wanted to go play with everyone else but she's like i kind of want to be in this space we were just softly exploring and i was like what do you want to suck my dick up here and she's like yeah in front of these people watching i was like what about over by the railing and then like getting my dick sucked at the railing so i like being observed i had sex in a cage once at another one of those king parties that i thought i should tell you because i know you love love cages. cages what kind of cage was it it was a tall cage. It was like six feet tall. It was like a bird cage set up on the middle of the dance floor. It was just meant for people to like dance in. Yeah. This was another four-year relationship that I had just had a breakup from. And it was the night after my breakup. I was like staying at a friend's house. And I was like, fuck it. There's a kink event tonight. I'm going to it. And I ended up having this person start dancing on me and like lifting up my kilt. And then they went in the cage and I was dancing with them in the cage. And then we ended up fucking in the cage on the dance floor. Like it was a cage that you could crawl in and out of, but you know, it's like the illusory boundaries are nice as well. So it was pretty fun. I used to have an actual cage that people couldn't get out of, which was nice. What kind was it? 
I kind of, I made it out of like steel fencing. It's like the kind of steel fencing you would use for like sheep or goat. Like, so it's bigger than it would need to be for small animals. Enough that you can like get fingers through to like clasp things, but not enough that you can get a hand through. Wow. And I made it out of an old like piece of steel pallet. I used to scavenge at junkyards and I eventually my arousal of things in hardware stores turned into be like, I can go to the scrap metal yard and grab this shit, make this shit. So I like That's to so craft cool. this thing. And occasionally I only had a couple people I kept in it. Eventually you don't have room when you live in a big city to carry a cage around anymore. So I know. no more cage. I have a foldable cage that's a giant dog crate. So yeah, I, I had one of those for a little bit. My family raised German shepherds. And so I put them in that. I really like group sex stuff. Mm. I have this lovely set of partners. It's a couple that I met a couple years ago at a music festival that was 2018. And then I was going back to that music festival in 2019, the last time it happened, obviously. And when I was going back, I knew they were coming back and I'd been with my partner for some time. At that point, we had closed our relationship again after the don't ask, don't tell phase. Mm -hmm. And I was like, my love, I'm going to this festival. I don't know why, but I suspect that this couple that I'm friends with from across the border want me to fuck them. And I'd really like to do that because my partner and I have talked about wanting to do like male, male, female threesome. Yeah. But she doesn't really trust men very much. So it's like something that's in our fantasy world, but hasn't something that's been actuated. And she's like, you know what? I think I'm okay with that. The rule we settled on at that point was I can have sex outside of a relationship if it was a three or more some. Okay. So it was like, you know, we've gradually expanded to things being a lot more open now, but it was like things that could not be satisfied within the relationship. That's something that I can explore outwards. Cause also like for me, I just get so much joy on the possibility of things. Me too. Yeah. Potentiality is so sexy. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, you can hook up with that couple. So I hooked up with that couple at this festival and we had this like crazy threesome in my tiny, tiny tent because they were camping by her sister. So they're like, well, we can't hook up in our tent. Yeah. So we like tried all these different angles and like, we're both on either side of her. And at one point I'm like 69ing. I really like 69ing a person while they're getting fucked. It's yeah. so cool to watch that angle. And like, I like butts. So like just holding a butt and looking at the things happen is really cool. I've had a lot of threesomes and they're really fun. And that's something that I want to keep exploring a lot more. We had a girlfriend for a little bit pre-COVID. So that was really fun in our relationship. And then turns out our COVID discretionary patterns are different. Mm -hmm. um, that's a real thing. I don't find anti-vaxxing very sexy. Yeah. I'm of the mind of go get the shot. I got COVID after I got the shot. I like to say that out loud because I think I would have gotten really scarily sick because I got knocked off my feet, even though I had both my Pfizer's. My partner was working frontline in the COVID wards and had to breathe for people. Like that was part of her job was to like make their lungs move once they were intubated. So this person we were seeing deciding not to get vaccinated for like reasons that didn't seem obvious for me. It's like it seemed very discourteous to our lived experience and that's part of where some of my partner's health stuff has come from like she has to wear this respirator on her face for so long wow like she'd come home bruised loves giving me head since working in the icu she can't anymore because her jaw locks up from cranking that mask on so like last night she was trying to give me a blowjob jaw locked up and it almost brings her to tears every time it's so sad so we don't have a girlfriend anymore. Okay. Right after that, we started dating someone else. And that was the first time in my partnership that she was like, you know what? I really like this friend of ours that we're hooking up with. The threesomes are really fun, but my body is a fucking wreck. And I trust this person. Do you want to go have sex with them? And I was like, great. So this was like kind of our way of exploring our non-monogamy has changed a lot. Wow. And I think that's a really great 
thing for listeners to hear is that like a non-monogamous journey doesn't always have to be linear because we've definitely had some like ebbs and flows where there's one point where I was dating someone in a different city where I was working sometime and it felt too much like it was taking away from our relationship. Mm -hmm. So we pulled it back. And right before I dated her, I had been in like four relationships at once when I was doing my like super poly thing. And since then, I've realized that I'm poly philosophically, Mm -hmm. but I also don't have the energy to expend to that many other relationships. So as I've been figuring out what my relationship patterns feel like, We've been navigating that together and there's been some ebbs and flows and it opens and it closes and we keep coming back to each other. So I think a lot of people I know who try the non-monogamous route get on like a really linear path. Like, okay, first Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to make up with someone, then I'm allowed to hook up with someone and then I'm going to date someone or, you know, and if you don't do it that way, you're not doing it right. But I think that can be a kind of closed-minded approach to it. Yeah, it doesn't work for most people at most moments. Like there has to be kind of that, what I'm hearing is an ongoing dialogue and conversation What I would like to hear about is how did you have those conversations with your partner that the two of you were dating together? Because as a person who is often hunted as a unicorn, like fairly atrociously, I would love to hear what kind of like your approaches are, if you have any advice for our listeners on that. It definitely didn't always work. There was definitely a couple of people that we pitched it to that weren't interested. I think part of the sex education growing up should also include rejection practice. Oh my gosh, yes. Because I, I just don't worry about it. And I think generally that's how I've managed to approach people about it is I have a lot of friends that I've slept with. I have a lot of romantic friendships and a lot of friendships that are just like at one point in our relationship, they kind of knew I was open to it and we've hooked up and then not worried about it afterwards. So I think when we've approached people to join us, I've really pitched it in not what we want, but why we would like it with them, like why they would be the person we pick. So it's like, hey, I see you as like a really great communicator. You seem really thoughtful. And I'm going to be a little vulnerable about this. But my partner and I would be totally open to having sexual interactions with you if you're up for that. And I feel like I can pitch that to you because I feel like you're going to be okay with it. If you don't want to, I feel like you know that I'm going to be okay if you say no. But if you ever want to, I think it could be a lot of fun because I think we'd all communicate together really well. So like, you know, pitching it to them as like, hey, you're trusting, you're nurturing, you're fun. I don't know if that's like, because I've told them you're a good communicator. They become a good communicator sometimes. I think it sounds like you're setting up a framework for them to respond comfortably either way. That's how I hear that. I've never had anyone say anything like that to me, much less include personal details. My usual experience is like, hey, we want you. And also now that we know you do this sex podcast thing, please curate a great experience for us. And that's been (laughs) most of my attempts with new lovers since I started sex stories, unfortunately. I'm like you in the sense of like, I'm poly in theory. But when the reality seems to be, especially during COVID, that most people are actually just looking for me to kind of like lead the way and like take them through a museum of wonders i'm like i'm so sorry i'm busy working on the world's sex life because that's hotter to me than like putting aside my work energy for your personal sphere and you don't even want to know what i care about yeah and i think a lot of times when i pitch this to people it's come after like lots of conversation about sex so i like i already know we have like a shared interest in a lot of ways like a lot of times at this point i don't even have to say like you know i'm into this kind of stuff i know you're into this kind of stuff like maybe be a good fit. And I also have a willingness to curate the scene. I think the thing that I brush up against with the most difficulty, and this is going to be part of it, and that's okay. My partner doesn't like 
initiating. She finds flirting really awkward. She doesn't know how to do it. So she wants the scene to just happen to her, which then I think from an outside perspective as like the third, it's this guy is into this threesome. His partner is being press ganged into it. But for her, she's like pretty submissive in the bedroom, not at all in real life, but in the bedroom, she's like, I just want to let it happen. I have to have a really good rapport with someone for them to be okay with that or for them to realize like that that's the case. Yeah. And sometimes they've been like, you know, I'm just going to talk to her about it. I'm like, go ahead, go yeah. ahead and talk to her. But like most of the threesomes I've had with my partner have just been totally thrust upon her. The first time ever we went to Portland to meet up with some friends of mine. We were going down there for an event and my ex fiance, who I used to have like amazing kinky sex with was going to be there. It was like, I'd like to hook up with you too, if you're into it. And I told my partner, I was like, I like threesomes. Would you want to try it? And she's like, with your ex-fiance? And I was like, yeah. She's like, sure, let's Skype. And then so like she had never met this woman and we had sex for three straight days in so many various contexts. And it was her first foray into ever doing that or ever like even kissing a woman. And it just went well because we communicated it really well ahead of time. Whereas like other people will be like, you know, I don't think that your partner's that into that. Maybe, maybe not. I'm like, okay, you can talk to them if you want. Yeah. But then like another person who we hooked up with, I was like, okay, well, if you're into it, I'm going to have her tied up today at this hour and she's going to be blindfolded and she's totally into you coming by. So if you want to, I'm going to leave the door unlocked, maybe wear this, this, and this. And if you come in, just like start nibbling on her or whatever you feel like is interesting to you. And so that was another one of our threesomes that we what had were a great invitation. <laughs> Yeah. And my friend was like, oh, yeah, sure. That's hot. I'm not doing anything tonight. I'll come over. And another time had my partner blindfolded in the back of the car thinking we were going on a date. And I get out of the car and someone else hops in the back seat, starts making out with her. And then I hop in the other side of the back seat. So she likes surprise, but it takes a lot to negotiate what a surprise will look like. I'm like, okay, so here's our hot, dirty fantasy sex talk. What part of those are reality? Because that's also something you have to do is sift what like a fantasy doesn't always equate like something you actually want to happen. Yes, which, but you like, need a partner who's able to articulate that for you to know the difference, especially if you're a literal brained person. And hopefully partners will learn that they need to tell you the difference. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's fucking amazing in the most literal sense, but also just awesome. I also will just to circle back because I fucked a kinky couple who I loved and what worked really well. He was the communicator. He was a dom. She was submissive. I knew that from the get-go. And I went on a date with them and they were just like, here's how we like to do communication. We like him to be in charge of the communication. And you can talk to me whenever you want. You know, like it was like that kind of vibe. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's kind of how we pitch it too. Like I have, I think a very leisurely work-life balance, whereas my partner is like, works a lot, loves her job. So she's tired a lot and she doesn't want to do the communication. And a lot of times when we pitch it to friends, they know that as well. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I get that. I'll talk to you. Great. You're the dom. Cool. That's great. Not that all of our interactions are always kinky either when we're with outside people, but just knowing that I'm kind of like in charge of the communication and it's not coercive on my part of like yeah. forcing my partner into something. I've definitely pitched it to people who have been like, oh, keep that in mind. And it hasn't come back around. I think when she finally found a guy that she's like, yeah, that guy that you think is hot, I'd hook up with him too. And we pitch it to him and he's like, I've been being celibate for 16 months, but when I stop, that might be a great thing. And then we'd like, we've drifted apart too since then. But you know, that was the one time when she finally found someone who was like, yeah, I'd get in between you and him or like put you between the two of us. On that note, what have you not explored yet that you still want to explore? 
One of the things I always come back to with porn is gangbangs. And I don't think it's ever going to be in the cards with my current partner. Like, she likes the idea. It very much lives in our fantasy realm, but I don't think it will be in a real world. But I would like to take part in one sometime. I think Mm. that'd be fun. I had almost organized one for one of my partners a long time ago. And I've had this dialogue with a lot of people. Like, I have a friend, they're super feminist and they're in flux with their gender and they're female bodied, but they're like, I want to be gangbanged by a bunch of cocks. I don't want to date cocks, but how do I do that without them all just deciding I'm a woman and Uh submissive? So I think in the right scenario, I would like to be in a gangbang as well. I'd like to do more group sex stuff and go to more sex parties when they're happening again in my city, which is in the midst of like a fourth wave of COVID outbreak. So not going to happen anytime soon. Since listening to your podcast, I think I've been more interested in doing piss play sometime. And it's something that I've dialogued with, with a lot of clients and totally open to. Again, I haven't done in-person scenes that have included that yet. But once I have the in-call that I think I have lined up, I think it will be a possibility, which is where you've talked about. I think I'd be really good at it because apparently the average length of a pee is about like 18 seconds. And when I piss, it's like upwards of two minutes sometimes. Whoa. Right. But I have a pretty strong, consistent, steady stream. So I think I'd be great at it. But I like enthusiasm. So my partner would be someone who if I told her, hey, I'm really into this, she'd be like, yeah, OK, we can do that. But I think as a dom, I want someone. Like, I want you to do this to yeah, me. Yeah. I want to be your yeah. your own. And that would be fun. Yeah. So it's again, it's something that lives in fantasy realm until someone asks me about doing that. And then I like fisting a lot. I have a friend who's a sex worker who's like, yeah, I just like held hands with my friend inside of some guy's ass. And I've never put my hand in a fist. I vaginal fisted people. And I watch a lot of anal fisting porn. So I think I would like to do that. That's super cool. I've never been fully fisted. I've gotten to like, like not past the knuckles, although it was a large man hand. And so I, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, my hands aren't small. The first time I ever did, I didn't even know it was a thing, but it was with a woman who had had two children. And she's like, can you put another finger? So then I went from like two fingers to three. And then I was like, I'm just going to. And then like the whole hand is in there. And I'm such a boy too. Like when I'm out in the forest, I'm like, there's a hole in a tree and I'll put my whole arm in the tree. And I'm like, what's in there? What's in that? What's happening here? What's in it? Yeah, I get it. Yeah. And so like having my limb disappear into things is just really satisfying on so many levels and again with my partner has a pelvis injury so sometimes like sex is painful so we used to be able to fist and now we can't so i would like to do more of that i have started to and i would like to continue having more explorations outside of the regular gender binaries like uh, the swinger parties don't really appeal to me because they're so straight centric yeah and there isn't really a place in the city I'm in that has like very queer kink parties. There's like the ladies queer events and there's like the guy sex parties at the bathhouses, but there isn't like a very amalgamated scene. It's kind of on the fringes. So I think I would like to go to some sex parties that are more just like kind of generally body positive. And that's what I want. Those are like the fantasies that I like to write to. <laughs> yeah. And some of the flirtations that I have going on in the field right now are directed in that way and they might actualize themselves soon. Can you briefly tell us what you've noticed about the intersection between your work in wellness and your kinky self? Like, do you notice a difference between like taking care of your body and sex? Yeah, my work in wellness has really made me aware of my breath. And I think if I ever start to lose track of where I'm at in a scene, always coming back to that is always really grounding. When I was doing a lot of polyamory, I created like a little meditation that let me come back to myself in between partners so that I wasn't kind of like 
I had one partner who was very invested in like the esoteric energies that could be involved. And so kind of in honor of that for her, I created this practice that let me, I don't know that I connect as much with the esoteric nature of it, but just the grounding and being with myself speaks to me a lot. So I I still have that where I have a practice of just like, if I've gone on a date and I'm coming back to my nest, I want to be able to like breathe through and let go of the pieces of that that don't serve me, which isn't necessarily like severing this outside connection. It's it's over now, boom. But making sure that I extract all like any emotional hooks that are not necessarily put there by other people, but that I may have placed there by myself. And it's connecting to my breath is also a way of expectation management, I think as well. Is there anything else that we need to know to give us sort of a solid overview other than what we've heard so far? Generally, like both in terms of the relationship that I'm in now and in terms of sexuality and stuff like that, I've discovered that things are in flux constantly and they ebb and flow and they move other ways. And that's true for me. I like transgression a lot. And I've had to learn how to work with that as like a sexual drive in my life, not a drive, because I know there's like not a sexual drive. We've read the same books, (laughs) but noticing that as an urge. And as I've grown older, I've learned to recognize like that fantasy doesn't always need to meet reality. And even though I've practiced a lot of communication, it's not always easy. In, In the lines with transgression, I remember I had this like kind of love affair going on with the manager of mine at a place where I was working that my partner knew about and was like, I don't want to ever go there with this person because like they're not safe because they don't know their own boundaries. They can't Mm. respect ours kind of thing. But it was still really hot to me. Like the idea of thing I was always jerking off about was like my partner and this person that my partner didn't want anything to do with like making them hook up and then taking that transgression and then It was really hard to, but I found a way to like bring it up to my partners. Like, I know you don't actually want to hook up with this person because it's not a good idea for any kind of reasons, but really turns me on. Can we dirty talk about it? And her being like, yeah, we can dirty talk about that. And you learn a lot from tough conversations. It's hard to bring yourself there, but so much comes from it, from having those hard conversations, whether it's like, okay, there's a closed door there. Now I know. So that can might dissipate some of the energy of the sitting in something or like, oh, wow, that door that was a little bit of a jar is cracked wide open now. Great. Or it's just going to sit there for a little bit. Things can be in flux and things can open and close. And yeah. Okay. And if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice, what age or ages would you pick? And what would you say? I think I'd probably go back to maybe me in my late teens, early 20s. And I tell myself to listen better. Like coming back to a couple of those scenes that didn't quite go well, it would have served me well to listen better, not to just like the words someone was saying, but what their body language was saying, or like what might the other people adjacent to this interaction be saying if they could say something. Like one night I hooked up with the bride of a wedding on the wedding night because she said it was probably going to be okay. And it wasn't when the groom walked in, it wasn't okay at all. So like, those are things when I like, I probably could have listened a little bit more to like some of the nuances of that and not just gone in that, like, here's a transgression. I'm going to do it. Cause yeah. I'm not supposed to like, sweet. I'm going to do the thing, you know, like slowing down a little bit and listening to some of those other pieces. But also like, I think back to that partner of mine who I put my hand around her neck and I didn't listen to all the other things she liked with that one partner. We had four threesomes in a 10 day period one time with different people every time, just because she said, yeah, I could be into that. And so I was like, I heard that. And that was the only thing I heard. And I was like, here's a person, here's another person I found, here's another person. And then we'd never had another one again. 
because I wasn't listening to like the rest. Like she also, she wasn't saying that she needed to kind of cocoon and come back, but I could have heard that if I had have paid more attention, mm. things like that. So I think, and I do that. I think I don't do that infallibly, obviously, but I think I do a lot better of that now with yeah. my partner. Where like, even now, sometimes she'll say, you're okay to go do this. And I try to listen a little bit closer to it. And like the couple that I hook up with, they came to stay with us recently and my partner didn't want to hook up with them because her body was feeling really off. And she's like, but I think I'm okay to explore you going into the other room and having sex with them while I go to sleep. Mm. We did that one night and it was brand new ground for us for me to leave our bedroom and go hook up with these people and then come back because every other time it had happened, we had been apart. And then the second night she's like, yeah, no, I'm okay for you to do that. But I was listening a little bit closer that time. And I was like, you're okay with it. And you would probably make yourself more okay with it. But I feel like for longevity's sake, I'm going to be better served by staying in bed with you tonight. And then that will like kind of create a better platform of like you feeling supported in this and your needs being met. And so you have to listen to what's expressly being said, but also what's not being said. And I think I, my younger self could have used that knowledge a bit more. That's so beautiful. And I also just want to highlight what I'm hearing is that it's not about making decisions for other people. When you're saying listening, it's about staying in dialogue. Definitely. Do you have a sex question for me? Yeah, you talk about like a lot about the different senses you enjoy, but is there a sound that you find particularly sensual? So I get really overwhelmed by auditory stimulation pretty quickly. So I haven't actually explored this because the more turned on I get, the more my like neural wiring is like, ah, to the point where like if I have an orgasm and music is on, I'm like, I need it off right now. Okay. So I actually have spent zero time thinking about this. I do like breathing. That's a, ooh, I'm just going to have to noodle on that. I don't have a clear answer, but what a great question. It's something that I've started thinking about more since I got this microphone for the work I do because I've started to do more digital stuff. So I've started like recording little sounds that mm -hmm. I realized like, oh, I like that. And I wonder what other people's experiences are with sounds. So. Yes. Listeners, if you have a sound that turns you on, and also please differentiate if you're experiencing like a sexual turn on. I know ASMR can give people body feelings, but the people I know personally who experience ASMR are not sexually turned on by it. That's a brain thing. So if you have also recommendations for what I might try to listen to, <laughs> to discover the answer to this question, let me know. Let us know. And Master Wolf, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely.